morning. Good to see you. Good to hear you. And it is a great day. You know, you look out there and uh, we're not seeing thunderstorms and raining. At least right now. Good to see some of that sunshine, isn't it? Beautiful day. And uh, I can't think of anything better to do than uh, just kind of sit around God's Word and uh, see what He has to say, right? You know, there's nothing more important than knowing God. I mean, there is nothing that goes above that. That I mean, that is it. That's the, that's the ultimate. To know Him, to know Him intimately, to really know Him. Isn't that really what we uh, are to be doing? Isn't that what it's about? To know God. And uh, I think it's fitting as we go into this section of this chapter today, which is part of a long section that we've been dealing with, chapters 32 through 34. It's all one uh, one theme with a lot of themes in between it, okay? But uh, it's a little surprising that regarding the golden calf incident, which is where this section started, and ending with the glowing face of Moses, we see here that the main idea is God's grace and forgiveness, isn't it? And ultimately, His glory is, is being shown about in the sin of mankind. And that's what this whole area has been stating. We've been in a long time in the book of Exodus. Thank you for bearing with me. You guys have been very good. Thank you for all the support behind that because I know it's a long book. But God's Word should never be boring to us. And I, I know that I can be, but the Word of God can't be. So let God speak. Let Him speak to each of us individually and see what He has to say for us. He might change us. He does do that, doesn't He? God's grace, God's forgiveness, even though the people of Israel were rebellious, they fell into idolatry by worshiping the golden calf. They knew that they needed a mediator. They needed the presence of God. That's really what they needed. And they gave up on their leader, who God was holding up. He was giving him the words to say. And in the meantime, they got tired of waiting. And what did they do? They did their own thing. They strayed exactly 300 or 180 degrees away from what God had intended. They went their own way. Paul describes this in Romans 1. And in Romans 1, it talks about idolatry. Uh, man gets alienated from uh, this great God. The people alienate themselves from God and they'll ultimately destroy themselves when they do that. But God is very merciful. God is very gracious. And He uses Moses. We've been talking about mediator constantly through here. That's what this book is about. Other than what God's glory is about. And what Israel does and in their sin. That's really the story in the Bible. That's threaded all the way through, isn't it? God was very merciful. He was very gracious. He uses Moses, and that's the very one that they dishonored, and they spoke disrespectfully of, and he's the leader that's appointed by God to them. They disrespected him. And once again, he brings Moses to the forefront 
to, to speak to them and to make them realize that He's an intercessor for them. He is good for them. He interceded for them when they could have been decimated. He did it for a long time. And so there he is again. He had spoken with the great Yahweh. He had been in His presence. His experience that He had with Him was just something that no man had had in in the sense that he, He was doing there. And it was reflected in His face when He came down to the people. Because he had sought after God and he wanted to see the glory of God. That's what it was about. That's what Moses said. He said, show me your glory. That's why this whole section has been about that. That's why we live. That's why we exist. As you prayed there, Bob. That is the ultimate. That's where we're to focus our minds upon. And he wanted Moses to know him. He wanted him to know his ways. And he gave it to him. He gave it to Moses. He showed me your glory. God did. He showed his goodness. He showed his ways and what he's about. When Moses had been with God again, he came to the people to share the word of God again. The first time he came and he broke those uh, tablets, didn't he? because of what the people were doing. But he's sharing with the people the very Word of God and that radiance was seen by the people reflecting off off of Moses. They knew that Moses had been with Yahweh when he came down from there. They knew where he had been. And his glow absolutely caused them to fear Again, there's fear that's put into their hearts. And now they're ready to listen to their mediator as he delivered God's word to them. When we experience the very face of God, when we experience that, it should transform our lives. We should be like Christ. And we should be such a way that people can recognize that you've been with God. That they know that you're a Christian. Whether they're Christian or not, they should at least know that there's something about you that's different. We as a body should be that way. First of all, right in our family. People should see Christ in our lives, should see that glow. When we are at work or amongst people, out in the neighborhood, people should recognize that we have been with God. When we come to church, people should recognize that we have been with God today already. With Him yesterday. day before. We should be in that kind of attitude. That is where we are always to be. And if we're not, we're in sin. It's one of the two, isn't it? There's no in-between. We should be seen by people that we have been with God. Let's open up our Bibles. Does this sound like a good thing to do? Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 through 35. And do you know we are closing down? We are right at the end of Exodus for the next section that ends on out. And I'm not so sure what we're going to do with it, but it is, it's not that it's to be avoided, but it's something that we have already talked about, that we have went through. And so I'm debating on what we will do next week. I don't know. 
But that's, that's where we've come to. We have come to a climax here at, at this point. It's been a long climb. But here we are. You know, we, we know where we're going. You know, when we, when we go through Exodus. And so, here we go. Let's read this. This is just beautiful. Everybody knows this story. Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai. How long have you been up there? 40 days and 40 nights. Think the people are getting tired waiting for him again? <laughs> well, they're not going to react the same way this time. The two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand when he came down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he'd come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. And we start off with the humility. The humility of Moses here. And we know when we are to reflect the very person of Jesus Christ, it all starts with humility. Being humble. That's the hardest thing. That's the thing that's the most fleeting because we're so focused and centered on ourselves and, and uh, Scripture's all about us dying to ourselves, folks. If we're not dying to ourselves, uh, we're going against Scripture. We're going against the very Word of God. We should be dying. Forget yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. We must be dying. And humility is one of the main aspects Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the the great things that He talked about there was humility. Blessed are the ones who are humble, right? No matter what kind of favor, gifts, whatever God has given us, we are to realize that we are nothing in ourselves and we depend totally upon the strength of the Lord and what He has given us. We have nothing to boast about, do we? Paul said, I have nothing to boast about, only the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. Even though it's the law that Moses has given here, I think it's a great favor. It's a grace for God to give them the Ten Commandments. Even though the Ten Commandments is going to actually reveal how sinful they are, it's gracious that God would show us that we are bankrupt. What's the first thing that Jesus preaches in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones who are bankrupt. They have nothing. They're poor. And the law shows us that. That's a good thing whenever He shows us that we need Him Even though the law is there, it's God's grace that He would reveal it to us. I think it's a great honor 
to deliver God's law to others. This is the highest honor that I can ever have, is to share God's Word with God's people. And you guys have it too. Anytime you deal with the Word of God with anybody else, it's the highest honor and privilege that we have in this world that we live in. To deliver God's Word to others. And that's the favor that Moses has. He gets it from God, takes it down the mountain, and then distributes it to the people. The favor then was shown to Israel because they now had something that nobody else had. No nations had. And the stone tablets were brought for a second time. Look at the privilege of this. Turn to Psalm 147. What a privilege it is to have God's Word. Do we forget about that? I think we do. Sometimes we're not humble. We're thinking about ourselves and we forget about His Word. Look at this. Look what we have. And we can turn to this thing any day that we want. Any time of the week. He declares His Word to Jacob, His statutes and His judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for His judgments, they have not known them. He declares His Word to Israel. His statutes, His judgments, that's His Word. has been given to Israel. And no other nation has been dealt with like this. That they would have the very Word of God. The very law has come to them. No other nations. All the empires, they don't have that. They didn't have that. And here he says, this for his judgment, so still speaking his word. They have not known them. They don't know what God's word is, but he favored them to have that. Boy, is that a privilege? After this, I think the people should not question the authority that was given to Moses. They will, but they shouldn't, should they? Because God appointed this man to be over these people and to not think lightly of him and to dishonor him and to uh, come out with a point that they didn't need him. And, uh, of course, that was not the case. They needed him severely. That's what God had appointed. It's interesting about Moses. He's honored and privileged by this. But as he has the glow coming from himself... He doesn't even know it. And had he known it, he would have tried to keep from being elevated in a sense of saying, hey, look at me. Look how great I am. I'm next to God. You know, that's not his attitude. Moses had no idea his face was glowing with this radiance. Everybody saw it, but he didn't. He had been with the Lord. Uh, Numbers 12.3 gives us an idea of the attitude that Moses had. You've heard this before. Numbers 12.3 Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all men who were on the face of the earth. That is incredible. With all the privileges that was given to him and the position that God had put him into And he was the most humble man in all the earth. No one more humble than Moses. So, even if he did know that he was radiant, he would not have used that as a matter of pride, would he? He was very humble. That's that's the uh, attitude that we want to get. We want to see people elevated higher than ourselves. 
Do we concentrate on God and other people? Jesus, others, you. What does that spell? J-O-Y. You want joy? Jesus first. Is He first? Are you first? Others, are they before you? And then yourself. You put those in order, you'll find joy. You don't put those in order, you will not have joy. It's just as simple as that. That's scriptural. It's always Jesus first. And Philippians 2 says that we esteem others higher than ourselves. And then yourself. I don't care what any kind of modern philosophy says today. They want you to have self-esteem and put yourself first. Well, that's not scriptural. You're going to go by truth. That's the order that we have. That's what Moses did. He had God first. Then he had the other people. He had himself below that. Because he mediated for them and he says, if you're going to take them out, you take me out. That's incredible. Isn't it? But that's, that's the humbleness that he had. He shows up after 40 days and 40 nights being in communion with God all that time. And having no food or drink, God keeps them supernaturally. And it was the effect. This is the effect, this glory that is on him of the sight of God. Being in the very presence of God. Can you think of anything better? That's where he was at. Whatever beauty God puts upon us in, in a spiritual way, we should be filled with this, this kind of humility that Moses has. Now, next we, we look at the fear. This is the fear that uh, the people have of really, not so much Moses as the fear of God. Here's their response, their reaction. Verse 30. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Second time he comes down from the mountain. There's no singing this time. Remember, they're singing, singing and dancing and all the partying they were doing down below, and he saw that, and boom, there go the tablets. Uh, this time, no sound of that singing. And instead, the people see him and they're in fear. It was something like what it was when they witnessed the thundering and the lightning and the mountain smoking. Remember in Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21, the trumpets blowing? They were scared to death. And they wanted Moses to be before them. Well, Moses' face is shining so dramatically, it scares the living daylights out of them. I mean, this was incredible. Can you imagine seeing somebody and their face is lighting up? Uh, what a glow that he had. Uh, Aaron sees it and then all the people see it and they see rays of glorious light coming out. Just emanating from his face. I think that's quite a glorious presence and manifestation of the Lord uh, that is on him that made an impression. And uh, definitely... It's going to leave an impression on them, maybe not physically, but at the same time, uh, their response, I believe, is appropriate. They should have been frightened. And this fear was good for them. 
for they have to gain that same experience that they had way back in chapter 20. This is serious business when we receive God's law. When we come in reading this word like today, I think it's very serious how we read it, how we understand it, what we do with it. Um, I think we have been given much as far as knowing who God is and what His Word is about. And now we're, uh, because of that, we are to respond to that. We're held responsible. The more you know, the more you know God, the more responsible that you are. You say, well, I wish I wouldn't have come here. (laughs) Now I'm going to learn something more as I look into God's Word. Every time you open this up, every time you hear a message by a godly preacher, you read the Word, whatever, you're now held responsible for that. But it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because that's how we learn who He is and that's how our lives change so that we represent the very person of Christ. It's a good thing, isn't it? It's a joyous thing. I don't want to miss out on what God has here. Um, to receive God's law, though, uh, I think it's, it's a thing of uh, coming in reverently before it. And it's like... Um, What right do I have to even read this? And as far as my own self goes, to even present it. It's only by the grace of God that we we have the Word. But we are to treat it very, very respectfully. It's very important for us. This is what God says. Everything else out there, other people are saying, if they don't know God, they're going to tell you something the opposite of what's truth in here. We start to believe it sometimes. Just look around and see what they're telling you. You compare it with God's Word. I think you'll see that uh, quite a difference. Well, the reason for God doing this is He wants them to be conscious. They are conscious. They have guilt here. They feared the worst. But what God does, He brings awe and terror. But at the same time, what does He do? He wants to, them to know His holiness. His holiness commands reverence and fear. But Moses also tells them not to be afraid. It's just like the angels. Whenever they appear before people, people are scared to death. They're frightened. But then what do the angels say? Be not afraid. And that's what we got here. God really has one big purpose here. Yeah, there's fear here, but really what He wants to do is to assure them There is that godly fear that we are had. But really, what it means is that we are assured of a great holy God and His promises are true. The Israelites definitely deserved the judgment. They didn't get it. He withheld that. But they need not fear now. So God uses this manifestation in a good way to get their attention so that they'll be focused on what God really has to say. Now, the, the, the uh, radiance is given proof to Israel. Two things. Moses is the mediator. And God's word needs to be listened to. Moses is the mediator and they really, they really need him. They really need this Moses, don't they? We've seen what he's already done already. If not for the mediator, the people are left in their sin. 
It's all on them. What did Moses do? He kept them from being destroyed. They need Him. God was telling them that He was sending back their mediator and He was shining in all that glory, meaning He was actually bringing the very presence of God right before them. That is what this is about. Remember when they were scared that they would not have the presence of God anymore? God had said, I will not go with you. And when Moses comes down, has the law, and he's shining, he says, my presence is here right amongst you. Now, how about that? What do you think of that? That's the way it is with us. We have been attested to and proven. We have the Holy Spirit living in our lives, living in us. And so, therefore, His presence is always here. God's Word, it has to be listened to. All of Israel around Him there, as He spoke to them, it says in verse 30. One, he talked with them. Then in 32, he gave them the commandments that was spoken to him on Mount Sinai. Wow. They were ready to listen to it, I believe. And they wanted truth. They wanted to abide by it. And we get this Moses' face shown in verse 30. Skin of his face shown in verse 29. There's a word play here in the Hebrew. Kind of interesting. It's fascinating. In the, in the Hebrew language, they have two words that really are very similar, uh, kind of alike. Quran is a verb form which means to radiate. Then there's another word that is found in the Hebrew, and it's kirin, and it's a noun form which means horn. Now, you guys might have seen some medieval paintings of Moses and Horns. Have you ever seen any of those medieval paintings? Has anybody ever seen those? Aha, there we go. We have one to attest to that, so I didn't make it up. All right. Okay, you say, well, what's going on there? Why did Moses have horns? Well, I think the medieval artist pictured Moses having horns because um, as they read the text and they saw the word there that came out as far as what the Hebrew was bringing forth, they used the word horns in the translation. And that was kind of showing, you know, that Moses had some kind of uh, awe and, and, and presence here. I think what God is saying as he's using this play on the two Hebrew words is that the mediator that the people built in the golden calf, all right, had horns. But the mediator that God gave had the radiance of God's presence. So the Hebrew word means horn. And then we also see another Hebrew word that's very close to it, meaning radiance of God's presence. So they had the horns, but God has the presence of God coming through Moses. It's like God saying this. Okay, you had an inanimate mediator who couldn't speak. He was made with really trinkets that were all put together and melted in that gold. They couldn't walk, they couldn't, it couldn't talk, it couldn't mediate, could it? And matter of fact, it almost brought down the very wrath of God. He said, there's the mediator that you have. Now, here's the mediator that I have. My mediator for you shines because he has been in the presence of God. 
This is my mediator and you need him. Is what he's kind of putting forth here as you get the different nuance in, in the Hebrew words for shining. Uh, what, what does it mean? It, it means some kind of glow. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 4, it's a noun there. And it's spoken of there as rays of light. So there's some kind of rays of light, some kind of a glow that's coming out of Moses. It's an afterglow of being in God's presence. And it was, uh, it's been quoted as something like the divine glory was remaining in him. As he had been present there, the divine glory is uh, kind of there. That's interesting. Um, it says in verse 33, And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. Now, if you read the text here, down through the years you probably thought, well, they were scared and so Moses went ahead and put the veil on immediately. But if you look at the text and really what it's saying, and also in First Corinthians chapter, Second um, Corinthians chapter three, which we'll go to uh, as we close out today, what's being spoken is here is that he didn't take that veil off. He came down from God, didn't have the veil on. He got amongst the people. The veil is still off. He hasn't put it on yet. He didn't even know. But he spoke to the people. And then what did he do? He put the veil on them. So you'd think, oh, it's because of them being frightened he put that veil on there. Ligon Duncan comments like this. You might think from this passage that the reason Moses veiled his face was to keep from scaring the people. Because we're told that the people were scared by the radiance. They were, right? But did you notice whenever Moses came back from Sinai to speak to the people, he did not veil his face. He only veiled his face after he spoke to the people. And then Paul, in our Second Corinthians, tells us the reason he veiled the face was so that the people would not see the radiance fade away. The glory was there. He did not want them to see it was slowly fading away. What would happen if it's fading away? Well, the very thing that he's building up here, would all of a sudden they would begin to doubt the very lesson that they had learned in seeing the radiance in his face. He doesn't want for them to see the afterglow going. But he let them see that. And what's interesting, this is a continual thing. As he goes up, to God from here on out as He speaks with God. He has that glow on Him. Speaks to the people and then He puts the veil on after that. Would you say that this would be an exaltation in a sense that God is giving to Moses? It is. Even though the people had maligned Moses, the very one that God appointed for the people, God is honoring him. Look in First Samuel chapter two, verse thirty. This is what God does to His people. He actually wants to elevate them in the proper sense. First Samuel two thirty. Therefore. The Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever. But now the Lord says, Far be it from me, for those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. 
Those who honor God, God honors. Those who don't will not be honored. Look in James 4.10. We'll get a New Testament principle out of this. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. Oh, we go in with our great pride. Putting ourselves up. Thinking of self in whatever way it is. Moses was humble. The Lord had called him. The Lord lifts him up. Right? We stay that way. So, what's the, the, three, the threefold purpose here for this mediator? What's Moses? It's issue about God and about the people. Dealing with Moses, he exalts the mediator up so they would recognize that he's for real. They better take him seriously. Number two, they need to take God seriously. They need to take His law, His word seriously. So, the preacher is to be taken seriously. The preacher has the authority of the word of God. The preacher is not an authority in himself, but he has the authority of the word of God. Take that seriously. God's word is to be taken seriously. Number three, the people are to be assured. It's assurance of God's presence. And I think every message should have that. I think every message should have grace, should have forgiveness, should show the sinful, sinfulness of people, should show the how great God is and His holiness, how He still forgives us. All of those are important. They need to be heard. It's hard to get all those in there, uh, but usually that's what you'll see if you take a big enough text. It'll be there, won't it? The Gospel is to be presented. And so that people see their sin and want to be changed, and at the same time, they'll be lifted up, too, as they leave, knowing they're forgiven people. And Moses is a witness to them that God is among them. Isn't that what you want to know? God is amongst us. He's here. Now, the, the third one that we go into today, the third part, we've seen what so far? The humility of Moses, and then we've seen the fear that the people had. And we get something here that we all should be able to take home with us. This is not just something that happened 3,500 years ago. And you read a nice little story and you say, oh, that's nice. What's happening? Well, you remember, Moses continued to have the radiance of God's presence. And so apparently, I would say every time he went up that mountain, he came down with this radiance. And in verse 34, we see that he was communing with God and then speaking to the people. His face was unveiled as it shone. And this attests to Moses and God that they're assured of God's presence. And now you have an illumination here reminding you of something that happens 1,500 years later. The transfiguration of Jesus. What did Jesus do on that mountain with Peter, James, and John in Matthew 17? He did almost the ultimate. He was transfigured. He wanted to show His glory to them. And He did. It's like He peeled Himself back. 
gave a little glimpse of his glory. Is that what you like to see? I mean, that's what we're that's what we're after. They saw that. They were blown away. Who was with Jesus up on that Mount of Transfiguration? Moses. Elijah was another one. Moses was there. Moses knew about that glory. <laughs> he knew about a transfiguring. His face was had shine. He knew that in a sense that he was he was he was talking with Jesus up on that mountain. And they were talking about his death and the things that were going to be coming. Moses is trying to figure all this out. And this is after Moses has been dead 1,500 years and just shows you that people are still alive. They're just, they are now, you know, not in the flesh like we are now. And he was sinless at that time. No sin. What a, what a thing that was happening. Uh, you can see why Peter just said, hey, we'll pitch a tent. Let's just stay here forever. Let's go. It's, it's tabernacle time. <laughs> you know, we'll just, this is great. Only one problem. You've got to come down the mountain. And reality strikes again. <laughs> uh, you have mountains. You have valleys. The mountaintop experiences don't always last too long. Where there is a mountain, on the other side is a valley. Then there's another mountain. And what's on the other side of the mountain? Another valley. Peaks and valleys. That's what our life is like. Peaks and valleys. Expect it. I wish I could tell you something different. Not really. (laughs) But this is the way that God has made it. It's the way it is. We're here on this earth. That's what we can expect. Uh, He told us that that would happen. He said, in this uh, life you'll have many tribulations. If I wanted to give you something soft, I could say, hey, everything is fine. We're going to heaven. And from here on out, everything's going to be good for you. And here's how good life is going to be. And you're going to be treated by people very good. You treat them fair. And everything will go good for you. And you can have this house. And you can have this car. You know what? If I could, if I could talk like that, if that was the truth, I would, uh, I would do it. But that's not the truth. And that's, unfortunately, people don't want to hear that, do they? They'd rather hear the other story. But the thing is, we have good news. (laughs) We are not to be bound by just what is happening here. We're to keep on looking for the radiance and glory that is planned for us with God. So the mediator, Moses, is pointing to the glory of the mediator Jesus. Turn to Matthew 17.3 just for a moment. Uh, the first three verses, we'll, we'll just read that. You guys know it well, but I think it's interesting that Moses kind of prefigured Christ. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like a sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Does that send chills down your spine that he would allow Moses to come there and hey, be with him at that time with Peter, James, and John? 1,500 years separating them. Moses is there with Peter, James, and John. And with Elijah, who was way before Moses. Oh my, uh, I think 
Moses kind of knew what was going on, but he still wasn't fully uh, informed. The glory there is actually inherent in Jesus. In Moses, it's not. It's, it's just kind of bouncing off him, reflecting God's glory as it kind of stayed there for a little while. But on Jesus, He is the glorious one. Moses had a fading glory. And when it would fade, he would hide, hide it with the veil. It was hidden by the veil. When he was with God, or he was speaking to the people, the glory shone. When he was not with either one of them, he veiled himself because the glory was fading away. Turn to John 1.14. Famous passage. It's inherent in Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Now John was up on that mountain and he said, we beheld His glory. He was kind of hidden while he was walking here on the earth. He didn't look like it outwardly. But they saw inwardly what he was really about. And then he let those three have a little glimpse of what he was like. A little bitty glimpse. Just like Moses had a little bitty glimpse. That's what he is. The glory full of grace and truth. Just full of it. So it's inherent in him and also it's permanent. His glory will never fade. Off of Moses' face, faded, didn't it? You know, it's like to have something and it just fades. Get this red mulch. looks really nice around the green grass. And then it rains about half an hour later. <laughs> All of a sudden, that red mulch now kind of looks pink. It faded. It lost its color, that brightness that it had. The radiance was gone. I speak out of experience. <laughs> Glory doesn't last too long here, right? Things. Okay, now what we must do is turn to Second Corinthians chapter 3. This is what we're kind of going to close out on today here. This, what the Second Corinthians 3 does is complete the story of Exodus and the Old Covenant. It brings it to fruition. Now Moses didn't get to see this in Exodus, but Paul, after he knows what Exodus is all about, and, and that Old Covenant brings out what we have today. Folks, I want you to get excited of what Paul writes about here. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones, what's he talking about? That's the tablets, isn't it? And he calls it a what? A ministry of death. Hang on with that right there and underline it if you like. It might help you as you read through here. It's called a ministry of death. Why, why death? Well, the law brings death. The law shows us our, the law cannot save us. It never was meant to save us, but it does show us our sin. So written and engraved on stones was glorious. There's our key word. 
so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, faded away. Remember, that was a glorious thing that they saw, but it faded away. That was called the ministry of death. Now, verse 8. Now, underline this. How will the ministry of the Spirit... Okay, now we have counteraction here. We have the ministry of death versus the what? The ministry of the Spirit. So he says, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? It's much more glorious than the Moses thing, wasn't it? Even though that was glorious. For if the ministry of condemnation... Now, remember that ministry of death? What does he call it here? A condemnation ministry. It condemns. The law condemns people. And if you ever feel righteous because you have followed the law, well, I salute you. You're the first person ever in the world of the history of mankind besides Jesus Christ to be able to do that. I'm amazed. No, we're all condemned, aren't we? For the ministry of condemnation had glory, and it did, didn't it? It's a ministry of death, it's a ministry of condemnation, and it had glory. Now he says the ministry of righteousness. Underline that one. So now we have the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness. It is right. It exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect. Okay? Even what was made glorious, that's the law, had no glory in this respect. What respect? Because of the glory that excels. What's the glory that excels? What's the ministry of the Spirit? It's the ministry of righteousness, now to be known as the new covenant that He has made with us. Verse 11. For if what is passing away was glorious, was it? Yeah. Passing away, faded, Moses. What remains is much more glorious. The old covenant has been replaced by the new covenant. Now, verse 12. And now, here's what we're going to be running into. There are four words that I want you to circle here. Here are the benefits of this. Matter of fact, you have them on your sheets. But the next time you read through 2 Corinthians, you can say, okay, hey, I I remember this. Oh, yeah, I, I, I circle these for some reason. And you underlined all those other ones. Therefore. Now, why is he saying therefore? Since. Because of what he has just said about this new glory, since we have such hope, circle that word, hope. We have such hope. Look what the new ministry has given us. It's given us hope. We use great boldness of speech. There's another word to circle. Boldness. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. Did you see that? That is why Moses put the veil on. Not so much because they were scared, but because the glory was fading and he didn't want them to see that fading glory. That's what he's saying here. Steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. What's he saying? Right there at this time, when Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, there there were tabernacles that people were going to to worship and, and in the temple. 
and they had the Old Testament or those the scrolls. When they read, there was a veil over that. You say, was there a real veil over it? No. <laughs> the veil was that they couldn't see what it really meant. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. He reveals what He is about. He pulls back the flesh and lets you see what is truly inside. But if they don't get it, they're still veiled. They're blinded. Verse 15. But even to this day, when Paul wrote that, and, and it even is, is in our time, isn't it? When Moses is read, when the law is read, the first five books, or the Old Testament, a veil lies on their heart. The veil now is on their heart. They can't see it. It's been lifted, but they have a veil. And until that's taken away, they won't see. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. No longer is that veil there. When you become a Christian, the veil is lifted. This should be exciting news to us. Now, now, right now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. Circle that word. Look at the benefits we have. Look what we have. We have hope. We have boldness. We have freedom. Verse 18, but we all, we all Christians, with unveiled face, it's been stripped back. We can now see, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed. Circle that word. What do we have? Hope. We have boldness. We have freedom. We have transformation. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. How are we being transformed? By the Spirit of the Lord. By the Word of God. The Spirit of God, the Word of God. We are being transformed. You say, Dennis, I'm not being transformed. You look at my life and I'm a, I'm a mess. I'm terrible. And I say, well, are you a Christian? If you're a Christian, you are being transformed. Like it or not. You say, I don't want to be transformed. Well, then you might say, well, why not? What are you focusing on? Are you really a Christian? We should be wanting to be transformed. That is our attitude. We are being like it or not, and it should be like it. Love it. Right? We, at this moment, we are being transformed. Whether it be favorably or unfavorably. Uncomfortable or comfortably. God is doing what He's doing, or He's not sovereign. If He's not sovereign, I don't want Him. There's no God. That's the idea of God. He is sovereign, and He's doing the thing in your life that He exactly wants you to do. What He wants to do. He has you placed in this town, in your job, in your family. Everything that's going on in your life, He is controlling. So, well, I am going to be disobedient. Okay, fine. Try it and see. Try it for a while. Get off the path. Just go ahead. You'll love it. You'll be miserable every moment. Stay miserable. Go ahead. Be miserable. You like it? You want to be miserable? You can be. God gives you that choice. (laughs) But He's still going to do His thing. He's going to make you into the image of Christ, like it or not. He'll drag you right on in. And you'll just hate it. I don't think so. Do you see what's happening here with this new covenant? Does this bring you...
something to shout about? Do you have something here in your life? Moses' glory was faded, hidden by the veil. The law was a shadow. The new covenant has fulfilled this. Moses' veil was similar to the veil of the tabernacle. They couldn't really go in and see the glory of God in there. Only the priest, once a year, high priest. The veil, when Jesus died on the cross, was ripped from top to bottom. This is what we're talking about, guys. This is what life is about. We have been put into this where we can behold all the glory of the Lord. If a covenant like the old one, which could only show us that we are sinners, produced a glory, then think of the effect of the covenant that we now have that can produce the very character of Jesus Christ in each one of us. Can you think of anything better than being in the image of Jesus Christ? The more that you are looking more like Christ, the more glory you can bring to Him. The more glory you bring to Him, the more that He gets you in on His plan. The old covenant could not produce the character of Jesus. The new covenant does. The old character couldn't overcome your nature, our nature. The new covenant changes us into the glorious image of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is talking about the people who loved the law of Moses who hadn't trusted Christ. He's already been here. He's already been resurrected. And he's showing them that Christ fulfilled this. But they don't see Christ in the law of Moses. That's why the veil is still there. Until you see Christ, that veil remains over the spiritual eyes. But when you see Christ, the veil is lifted. We don't have anything obstructing the very view of Christ. So what does the New Covenant give us? Well, just in these right here, remember, hope. Verse 12. Hope does not disappoint. It says that in Romans 5.5. 5. This is the kind of hope that you know to be true and that it will happen. Absolutely will happen. A confident hope, knowing this. Boldness. We have boldness to declare. That we have boldness to go before the throne. We can declare His Word. Tell the good news. We can preach it to ourselves. Hey, do you guys believe in preaching to yourselves? Preach all week long. Preach to yourselves. Preach the Word to yourselves. Don't preach your feelings to yourself because you're going to get down, man, and you'll never get up. Preach the Word to yourselves and let that lift you up. We have the boldness. We have the hope. We have liberty. Look in verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We have freedom. We are freed from our bondage of sin. And what's transformation here? Oh, remember Romans 6? We are now set free from the law of sin and death. We're set free. We have liberty, freedom. The fourth one, transformation. This is continual. It's progressive. We are being transformed into Christ's image. Do you like that idea? Do you like the idea of being changed in the image of Christ? Or do you want your own image? (laughs) I think we want Christ's image, don't we? 
That's why He said die to self. That's the ultimate goal. In Romans 8.29, For whom He foreknew, He also predestined for what reason? To be conformed to the image of His Son. That is what life is about. You know what's going on in your life right now? You might have a lot of other interests that are out there and you kind of forget about the things of the Lord. Keep your eyes focused on what is more important. We'll be made like the Son. Why? That He might be the preeminent one among many brethren. Among us, that He would be preeminent. That He would be supreme. When we're like the Son then the Son gets all that glory. Isn't that incredible what God is doing? What an ultimate goal that God has. So what does all this mean? We are being transformed. We are to allow the Spirit of God to work in us. We are to keep being transformed the word, God, the word of God gives us the renewal, doesn't it? We are to be renewed daily. Stay in the Word. Keep listening to all those ministries that, that God has given that, that are out there. Stay in it. Are you reading every day? Are you pursuing the things of the Lord? Are you praying? Be being renewed. Renewed daily. Keep seeking Christ Get the view of Him that He allows us to have as we look at His Word and we'll be transformed as 2 Corinthians promises from glory to glory. Keep that glory going on. Keep taking your steps. Don't stumble. Don't fall back. Keep seeking that where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your awesomeness, Your majesty. Your supremacy. What a plan you have. And if you, you have showed us through the person of Moses that he was prefiguring. He was a type of Christ ultimately. We thank you that we are not under that law in the sense that we have to please you by keeping the law to get salvation. We've seen that it's a ministry of death and condemnation. But the new covenant puts us right into the very presence of God. And we declare Your glory because of that, Lord. Thank You so much. Thank You for the new covenant, the grace, the forgiveness that we have, and all that You have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.